0: Now, we start today in verse 4, where it says, And
1: behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. So let's start with this first part of this verse 4, where it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, he says to the reapers. See, our passage starts with this word, And behold, Boaz came. See the words, And behold, Boaz came. It opens for us a new scene. And in this scene, we have to paint a picture. We have to see, and behold, Boaz came. So we have to see, what is the scene that's being painted before us? And so in our minds, we'll put this together. So what do we hear in the scene? We hear the swishing sound of these sickles from these reapers cutting down the grain in the field. And we see a line of men spaced out evenly, swinging those sickles, moving steadily across the field. We see the tall blades of grain fall to the ground as the men swing the sickles and they move on. And right behind those men, we see the line of women who are following the reapers and their binders, their, their chief binders, they're binding what's been cut down. And we see those women, they're bent over and they're gathering up the grain and they're binding them in bundles And they're throwing them onto the carts. And right behind those women, we see these women who are really laborers, part of Boaz's company. We see behind them poor women who are the gleaners. And we see these poor women gleaners and they're gathering up what has been missed, what has not been bound up by the women laborers. And we see those poor gleaners in the field of Boaz. And why do we see those poor women in the field of Boaz? Because Boaz was a generous man. He allowed gleaners in his field, but not every landowner did. Not every field had them. But we do not see those gleaners in those other fields because, as we said, some of them were stingy. They were stingy businessmen. And even though God had told them, writings of Moses, he says, told them you should have them. Some landowners, they didn't, they, they made it difficult. They put thorns and so forth, and they just weren't there. They weren't appreciated. They didn't want them there. That's not the case with Boaz. Not the case with Boaz. He was a God-fearing man. He was a generous man because Boaz was experiencing in life what God promised would happen to him in Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24, where it says, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than his meat, but attendeth to poverty. And for Boaz, you can color that man a scatterer color him a generous man a scatterer he loved to scatter he loved to scatter what he had you may think that scattering is only talking about wealth you may think that you may think that that well you got to be rich to scatter well there's another richness which God is rich in and which he refers to himself when it says in Ephesians 2 4 but God who is rich in mercy God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us See, rich in mercy, we can be rich, we are rich in mercy. And when we give out the gospel in a scattering manner, we're showing mercy. As it says about the Gentiles who give the gospel out to the Jewish people in Romans eleven thirty-one, where it said, "...even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy." see Boaz was a rich man in mercy and he was scattering to the poor and so there were gleaners there in the field of Boaz and just think of God in heaven just think of God in heaven for a moment here he's looking down you know you've been in a plane and you've flown over the midwest and you look down you see all those fields down there well God sees those things too and he sees that he looks at one field after the other and he says yep they all got the first line of reapers I see them all there's there's the first line of reapers there they are And there's their sickles. And then he said, yep, there's those second line of sheaf binders. They all have the second line. They all have the first line. They all have the second line of the sheaf binders. But God looks down. He says, they don't all have the third line. They don't all have the third line of the poor gleaners. And when God saw the field of Boaz, you can imagine God saying to his angels, look, do you see what I see there? Do you see what I see? You see that third line of poor gleaners? In the fields of Boaz there, that's my son. That's Boaz. He's acting just like me. I'm pleased with Boaz. Let's make him increase. There is, a scattereth, and yet increaseth. Now this question comes to us, what does God see when he looks on our fields? What does he see when he looks down on our fields? Does he see us having the third line of the poor gleaners that we're giving to? Now we say, well, I don't have any fields of grain, so that lets me off the hook. I don't have to worry about that. But Boaz was a kind of giver that's described in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where it says, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, but of, as of necessity, like, oh, I gotta do it. But God, for God loveth a cheerful or a hilarious giver, really happy. And Boaz looked and he said, I have a grain of field so I can give to the poor by allowing them. I'm mean, invite the poor gleaners to come to my field. And he was so happy to do that. That's Boaz. Well, we don't have poor gleaners, but we do have the lost around us. We have the lost around us. And without the Lord Jesus Christ, they're poor. Doesn't matter how much money they have. They're poor without the Lord Jesus Christ. Boaz was a busy man, but he turned around from the busyness in his life to see and care for the poor. And the question is, do we turn around? Do we turn around and look at a lost person and say to ourselves, this person is poor. I don't care how much money is in his bank account. He's poor because he's not saved, because he's not a child of God. I'm gonna turn around from the busyness of my life and give to this poor person, this poor gleaner. I'm gonna give to him the gospel. Or does God see our fields? with just two lines. I'm just caring for myself. I have a lot of my own needs to take care of, and I can't be concerned for other people. I can't be concerned for poor people who are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, who are without God in this world. That's poverty. That's spiritual poverty. To be an alien from the commonwealth of Israel and without God in this world, that's poverty. As God looked down and says, he only cares about providing for the needs of himself or his own family. He's not... Like Boaz, he's not concerned about the family of God. We don't have a field of grain that we can invite the poor to come and glean in, but we do have homes. We have homes that we can invite the lost to. Does God see our fields as having a third line of poor gleaners who are coming into our homes? Because we have opened our homes by hospitality, by purposefully inviting the lost to come to our homes so that we can show them that we love them that we care about them. You know, the gospel is an invitation to come in out of the cold, be adopted into the family of God, enjoy the sanctuary of God's presence and the warmth of God's love and the protection of God. I mean, think about that. Isn't that what our homes are? Aren't our homes, don't don't we have homes that are sanctuaries of love from the cruel world outside don't we have homes that are places of warmth where our family members know that they're accepted and loved because they're in the home? Isn't our homes a place where we feel protected and safe and secure? Aren't those the same messages when we're inviting people to come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that the same message? Aren't we inviting the lost to come to God as a sanctuary from the devil who hates them? Aren't we inviting the lost to the warmth of God's John three sixteen love? Aren't we inviting the lost to, to come and be protected, to be saved, to be kept secure? So to send those messages, we can invite the lost into our homes. Isn't our home the best place to make a parable of that? Isn't our homes the best place to, to bring the lost into? Does God look down from heaven? Does he see this third line of gleaners in the form of the lost sitting at our tables at home, eating with us so that we can invite them by just our homes to come to God. If there's no third line of poor gleaners in our field, the good news is we can change that. We can change that. We can make a third line of poor gleaners. This week, and I challenge you with this, this week, why not call a lost person, invite him into the warmth, into the love, into the security, into the protection of our home to have a meal with our family? Why not? So you can tell him, just by just being there, about the warmth, the love, security, protection of becoming a part of the family of God by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're saying to yourself, I'm not good at presenting the gospel. I didn't take evangelism explosion or I I didn't explode with evangelism. (laughs) And I'm not good at presenting the gospel. That's okay. That's okay. Just by having a lost person in your home and letting them Feel, letting them be a part of the warmth, the love, the security, the protection of your home that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided for you. That's a strong gospel message to the lost that you invite into your home. Don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate it. Just that you have dedicated your home and your meal table to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just that you pray before you eat. That's a strong gospel message. And the lost see that if you're willing to open your home. I remember, before I was saved, how a Christian couple in Cincinnati from Landmark Baptist Church visited our home in Cincinnati before I was saved. And I can still see them now in my mind. I can still see them now. Husband and wife sat on our couch, and there we were, my wife saved, sitting with me. And there I was, as lost as I could be. And this Christian couple came to our house To bring the gospel. And you know what their message was? Their message, they didn't really explain the gospel. They just simply said this, we just came here to tell you that your wife is going to heaven and you're going to hell. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) And that's all we want to say. Now that's not exactly what I would call a clear gospel invitation. (laughs) But you know, God used that. God used that that day because there was something I could not get out of my mind and it was not the message that Cheryl was going to heaven and I was going to hell. But what I couldn't get out of my mind was how united this couple was in their devotion to God and in their love for each other. I mean, I watched them as one opens the door for, you know, the husband opens the door for the wife and they sit down and watching, caring for, and I just still remember now how they looked at each other And I remember now how they cared for each other. And I remember now how they took time to visit us and how important whatever message they were bringing it was. But how united they were in what they believed. Their words were not powerful, but who they were and how they cared for each other was a very powerful message. I couldn't shake it off. And what they were and how they cared for each other, for me, spoke louder than their words. Now, if you're willing, just willing, just to invite the lost person to your home for a meal, God can use who you are and how much you care for each other more than your words. Not to say you shouldn't say words, but the great news is that a third line can be made in our fields just as easy as picking up a phone and inviting a lost person, come over, Come on, why don't you come over for a meal? Our family's inviting you. Now we think, God's given me this nice family, our home of love security and protection so that what so what so that our family can just enjoy it for ourselves no the reason that God has given the home the family of love security and protection is to use it to show the lost the love security and protection that God is offering to them just by receiving the lord jesus christ we don't realize how we can use our home as an outreach to the lost just by inviting them to our home for a meal but to do this we've got to be willing to open up We've got to be willing to open ourselves up, open up our families, open up our homes. That's what the Bible calls hospitality, hospitality. The Bible describes hospitality as something that does not come naturally, but that we have to consciously give ourselves to. We have to give ourselves over to it. We have to surrender ourselves to it as when we gave ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, as when we surrendered ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ when we were saved. See, in that same way, we surrender, we give ourselves over to hospitality, which is why the Bible describes a person who is hospitable as a person who has given over to hospitality, as it says in Romans 12, 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. It's a requirement for a leader in the church. It's an absolute requirement for a leader in a church. It says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Leaders, when was the last time we had someone over to our house for a meal? And for leaders in the church who don't feel it's their gift to be hospitable, God's advice is to start, you'll become it. You'll become what the Bible calls a lover of hospitality, which is what it says in Titus 1, 7 through 8. A bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. See, I don't feel that way. My mother and my father said we'd love to learn each other, love each other, so you learn to love. Now, we have tools. We have tools at home. We have tools at home. We have tools at work. The Bible calls hospitality a tool. It says in 1 Peter four nine, use hospitality, one to another, without grudging, without saying, oh, "I wish you didn't get up there and preach about this." You know? What is what? Good's a tool if it's never used. What good's a tool if it's never? Used? You might as well not have it. See our God sees our home and He sees it as a tool of hospitality, and He says, "Use it. Use it without grudging." Boaz has hospitality written all over him. He's a lover of hospitality. He used hospitality with his field. He was a lover of hospitality. When God looked down from heaven on the field of Boaz, God sees the third line of the poor gleaners, and God was well pleased with Boaz, and we can imagine God saying to his angel, now that's a man who is a lover of hospitality. That's Boaz right there. I see it. Isn't it interesting that when the Lord Jesus Christ describes heaven he didn't say in John 14:2, "In heaven there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you." He didn't say that. But what he said in John 14:2, "In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you." See, he calls heaven his Father's house, my Father's house. When we get to heaven, we're going to hear him say, "Welcome to my Father's house." You're going to live in my Father's house forever. See, we who were strangers to God will forever be the recipients of God's hospitality. We who were strangers of God will be forever invited into God's house, into the Father's house, as David said in Psalm 23, the last verse of Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If God the Father can use hospitality and open up his house for us to come into, and will forever be known as those who live in the Father's house. Can we be like God? Can we be like God the Father? Can we be hospitable? Can we open up our homes for strangers to come into, for the lost to come into? When we use hospitality, it's a proof that we believe we're going to heaven and be a recipient of God's hospitality. When we use hospitality to a stranger or a poor person, it's especially a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. You know, the original concept of hotel was a room and a home, like a bed and breakfast. The room, hotel, hostel, hospital, all comes from the same root of hospitality. You know, when I used to go to Lyon in France for business, I stayed in the same hotel along the Rhone River, and then there was a hill across the river that went up and at the top of the hill was this big lighted sign, Hotel Dieu, God's Hotel, God's Hotel. It was a hospital. And all throughout France, the hospitals are called that. They're called God's Hotel. They're called that. And so, Boaz, third line of poor gleaners. And then we have the water vessels. There were water vessels there in the field where the laborers got thirsty, they could drink, and they were probably filled from that famous well of Bethlehem. And that must have been some well because David talked about it in 2 Samuel 23, 15 when it says, And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And then in the field there was a big house and in the middle of the field and smaller rest houses in the field where tired laborers they could go to and they could rest. And then at mealtimes... They would serve roasted grain and bread and there'd be this mixture that they would dip in of oil and water and vinegar. And so that's the backdrop for the scene that we have here in verse 4 when it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And so into this scene, Boaz is now coming. And we're told that he's coming from Bethlehem. He's coming from the city. We're not told what he's doing in the city of Bethlehem. He's probably involved in some sort of important business. In Bethlehem, maybe he's arranging for supplies. We're just not told. But we do know that this was the most important time in his business, was the most important time for the farm Boaz business. was a harvest time. And everything at this time was tense. It had to go like clockwork. You had to get the grain from the field into the storehouses, get them off the field, and get into the safety of the storehouses. You know, when we were in Lakeside, when this little Jewish boy from Los Angeles who thought that tomatoes grew on trees ended up in Lakeside and with 300 goats knowing nothing about how to take care of goats. It was bad. We used to have, uh, goats were dying all over the place. We used to have a pile of dead goats that we'd put up on the driveway every day. They kept dying. I couldn't figure out why. A UPS man would come and say, more dead goats? And he says, you sure you're in the right business? But anyway, God sent to us Solomon Solomon Adams to live with us. And Solomon was really God's provision because Solomon was one of 10 children who grew up on a farm in Nebraska. So the minute that Solomon came, I realized I need this man. And so we put a trailer out on the driveway there and we said, you will live here. (laughs) And so he lived there for several years while he attended Christian Heritage College. And so, you know, Solomon just taught us everything we needed to know. And he used to talk about how critical the harvest time was. And he told me that in Nebraska, where they have thousands of acres or I don't remember. Anyway, he told me that the family would sit around, not doing a whole lot while the crop was growing. But when harvest time came, it was all hands on deck. And Solomon told me how during harvest time, he would drive tractor around the clock 24 hours straight. He told me one time when he was nine years old, he was driving a tractor with a baler, beam, pulling a baler behind the tractor, and he fell asleep. Nine-year-old kid, he fell asleep. He fell off the seat of the tractor, and he was heading right for the ground. And if he would have fallen on the ground, he would have been killed by the baler that he was dragging behind. But God saved his life by causing his foot to get tangled up in the pedal, and so he was dangling along there, falling. And anyway, he, and so he's still alive. So the harvest time is a critical time for a farm. And it was a critical time for Boaz's farm. And like any farm, Boaz is in the business of farming. Boaz is a businessman. It's a business operation. And a norm for a normal businessman like Boaz, he would have a lot on his mind right now. For a normal businessman like Boaz, he'd have the weather on his mind because the weather was out of his control and the weather could ruin his harvest. For a normal businessman like Boaz, he would have the safety of his reapers on his mind. It was a dangerous job swinging those sickles sharp enough to cut a man's hand off. For a normal businessman like Boaz, he would have a lot on his mind for the overall, just the operation of the harvest. Everything's got to work. Are there enough reapers? Are there enough sheaf binders? Are the carts operating properly? Is there enough water in the vessels to keep them watered? Is there enough food for the workers? Are the storehouses all cleaned out? They're ready to receive the harvest. Are there any buyers lined up to buy the grain? Lots and lots of things on his mind. And those are just some of the things that a normal businessman like Boaz would have on his mind, especially after he's been away from his farm in Bethlehem City, and now he's returning and he's wondering, what's been happening since I've been gone? And a normal businessman would return from Bethlehem during this most critical harvest time, and the first thing out of his mouth when he reached the field would be, where's the foreman? Where's the man who set over my servants, as you described? I need a report from the foreman. How's the harvest going? Are we on time? What's our plan for the harvest? What are the unexpected? What are the issues? What are the obstacles that have come up to delay the harvest? See, a normal businessman, while he's on his way back from Bethlehem, his mind is percolating. His mind is churning. His mind is, you know, he's already imagining himself in the fields, and he's imagining what's happening. I gotta get back to the farm. A normal businessman. That's a normal businessman.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the third annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Light and Life Foundation Ministries that encompass the Creation and Earth History Museum, Friendship with God Radio Program, and Israel Restoration Ministries. Come experience gourmet and unique local restaurant foods and we'll have Bible teacher Tom Cantor from the Friendship with God radio program speaking along with musical performances by the De La Motte Strings. We'll have an amazing night of silent and live auction items including Taylor guitars, vacation getaways and other exciting auction items. So if you'd like to attend this event or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m. then call us with your support or to reserve your seat. 619-599-1104, that's 619 or creationSD.org, creationSD.org, creationSD.org.